Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 tonight. We, um, uh, this being healing school, we always minister along the lines of healing in some fashion or another. And uh, if you haven't uh, heard us uh, relate this before, it's important for you to know that the four Gospels give us 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. And we know there had to be more than that. John said that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. So we know that there had to be uh, many more, hundreds more, thousands more uh, cases of people that were healed in the ministry of Jesus. But the Holy Ghost saw fit through the four Gospels to give us a record of 19 individual cases. That seems to us like it might be more than that. That seems to be a low number, at least it does to me. But when you realize that many of the Gospel writers give us an account of the same ones, just a different perspective on the same story, then, uh, then you can understand what we're saying. There are many more than 19 accounts, but uh, if, you, if you put them all together and, and, uh, and only count the ones that are duplicated once, then there are 19 cases of people, individual cases of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry. That does not count the multitude, certainly. It does not count the groups of uh, like the 10 lepers that were healed as they went and so forth. But 19 cases where individuals, uh, and at the most, two people. There was uh, one occasion where two blind men were healed, and that we count them in there because it treats it as one event. But of the 19 cases of healing in Jesus' ministry, they must give us, since those are the ones the Holy Ghost picked, it seems to me to be uh, uh, reasonable to, um, uh, to conclude that those give us a complete picture of the healing ministry of Jesus. If there's something that Jesus did, if there was a healing work that Jesus did that uh, contains information for us that's not outside the, the information revealed through these 19 individual cases, then the Holy Ghost has done us a disservice. Because Jesus said that the same works that he did, we would do also because we're believers in his name. Well, how are we going to do the same works if we don't have a complete picture? Can you see where I'm coming from on that? So I have to conclude, knowing the character and the nature of God, I have to conclude that the 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry gives us a total picture of healing and what healing is like. Now stop and think about that for a minute. If the whole of Jesus' ministry, thousands of people being healed in Jesus' ministry is summarized or... A complete picture is painted, if you'll allow me to say it that way, through 19 individual cases, you can see that most always healing operates the same way. I mean, if, if healing didn't work, if healing was different for every person, and Jesus healed 100,000 people in his three years here on the earth, then the Holy Ghost would have to give us 100,000 cases of healing, stories of healing, wouldn't he? But the fact that he gives us 19 as a total picture tells us that most healing operates the same way. Now, here's what I mean by that. Of those 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry, 13 of those cases, the healing, in 13 of those cases, the healing of the individual is attributed to their own faith. 13 out of 19 cases of healing in Jesus' ministry is attributed specifically, specifically identified as due to the faith of the individual. Now, if that was true in Jesus' ministry, in his earthly ministry, and all the people that he healed and all the people that he ministered to and brought healing, the healing power of God to, could we expect there to be any difference in our experience? In other words, if the majority of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed on their own faith, what do you think it's going to take to bring healing to people in our ministry and in our day? It's going to take the faith of the individual. Now, in addition to those 13, there are two cases where faith is not specifically identified, but you can see either through the words or the actions of the individual that faith is in operation. 
So if we combine those, you've got 15 out of 19 cases where healing was brought about. The healing power of God was brought to bear in somebody's life, somebody's experience to remove healing. I'm sorry, to remove sickness and or disease from their bodies based on the faith of the individual. That means only four of 19 were healed outside of the faith of the individual. What does that tell us? That tells us there are times where God initiates healings outside of the individual's faith. But for the majority of the time, the majority of his cases, it's going to be brought about by faith on the part of the individual. If that was true for Jesus, it has to be true for us. Because we were sent to do the same works as he did, and that's the work that he did. Now, in Mark chapter 11, uh, that being the, the background or the backdrop for the importance of faith, the importance of the building up of faith on the part of the individual, on your part and on my part, the importance of that is now we've got to find out what did Jesus identify faith to be. It's uh, the reason that I want to go to Jesus' definition and Jesus' explanation of faith is because I've heard a lot of people define a lot of different things and explain a lot of different things that they all call faith. And, and it's a mess, to be honest with you. There are a lot of times where people will come up to me after a service and they'll say, Pastor Mike, I want you to pray for me, pray for my healing. And I said, okay, well, what do you believe about healing? Oh, I have faith. And they'll, they'll describe something that is nowhere close to what the Bible says about faith. They'll say, I have faith because I know of sister so-and-so that was healed. Well, hearing somebody else's story doesn't give you faith. Because the devil's always right there to say, well, yeah, sister so-and-so was healed, but how does that help you? How does that mean that, what do, why does that mean that it's for you? I've had people say, describe uh, a past experience of their own. God healed me once before. Great. I'm glad you've got an experience. How did God heal you? Well, I just woke up one morning and it was gone. Well, how can you have faith in that? I mean, you didn't have anything to do with it the first time. Are you, do you have any kind of basis or foundation to expect that that's going to happen that way the second time? That sounds to me like the goodness and the mercy of God. So I've heard a lot of people describe and explain a lot of different things that are nowhere close to what the Bible says about faith. So let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus curses a fig tree and the next morning it's dried up from the roots and the disciples brought his attention to it. And Jesus answering verse 22 and said unto them, have faith in God. In other words, he's explaining how to bring supernatural results or how to change things in this physical realm. And his answer is have faith in God. Other translations say different things, have the faith of God. One translation says have the God kind of faith. I like that because what other kind of faith would God have? If you had the faith of God, what faith would God have other than the God kind? You certainly wouldn't have the mankind. You'd have the God kind of faith. And then he explains what that is. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, I have this God kind of faith and you can't have it. No, the fact that he says have the God kind of faith means it's available for everybody. And then he describes how it works, what it is and how it works. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith. What is Jesus telling us? He says faith, the God kind of faith speaks to the mountain or the circumstance or the problem refuses to doubt in his heart but believes in his heart independent of his five physical senses what he sees or feels in this physical realm believes in his heart that what he says will come to pass. If you meet those conditions, you shall have whatsoever you say. What is faith about? Faith is about believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Believing in your heart 
and saying with your mouth. Now turn with me back to Mark chapter 5. Let's look at one of these 19 individual cases of healing. I want to establish this as kind of a starting point and then come at it from a little different angle. Mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment for, verse 28 is key, for she said. She took action because she said something. The action that she took was her faith in action. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. But the reason she took that action is not because she heard but because she said. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Notice she didn't feel anything until after she said it. A lot of people are waiting to feel something and then start saying it. She felt something only after she spoke it and acted on it. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue, this is the Greek word dynamon, or dunamis really, and it's where we get our um, uh, English word dynamite from. It's talking about the power. It's talking about the ability of God. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Notice Jesus does not say, There she is. I knew in my spirit that there was a woman that was coming for me today. Jesus says, Who touched my clothes? He looked round about and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Now this is very important because the disciples are telling us, in King James English, and a lot of times people miss it, but the disciples are saying, Everybody's touching you. Jesus said, Who touched me? And the disciples said, The whole multitude's touching you. Everybody that can get within arm's reach is touching you. Now can I ask you a question? Why is everybody trying to touch Jesus? Why did the woman with the issue of blood touch Jesus? It said, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. What do you think she heard? What she heard caused her to do two things. Number one, say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And then act, take the physical act or action of reaching out to touch his garment. What do you think she heard? The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. She had to have heard, since she had faith to touch his garment to receive her healing, she had to have heard that people were healed by touching Jesus. And apparently she's not the only one that heard that. The whole multitude has heard that. And that's why the whole multitude is thronging him, reaching out to touch him, in other words. But Jesus looked around to to find her that had done this thing. And then it goes on to say, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now notice verse 34. And Jesus said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. He did not say the power of God made her whole, even though we know power went out of him and into her. She felt it. She felt the result of it. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. But why doesn't Jesus credit the power of God? Why doesn't Jesus say, yep, God, since you're here especially today to prove that I'm the son of God and that I'm the one with the power. He didn't. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. What is he saying? He's saying, I had the same power available for every person in this crowd that touched me. But you're the only one that touched me in faith. You're the only one that touched me in faith. Now, let's stop right there and talk about feelings for a minute. You could get your feelings all hurt. 
Because there were sick people in that crowd that didn't get healed. You can get your feelings all hurt and get upset with God. And, and you really get mad at God. Because Jesus had healing power available in him. Because he was anointed of the Holy Ghost to heal the sick. He's anointed of the Holy Ghost to heal every person in this multitude. However many there are. I have a hard time believing she was the only sick person in that crowd. But even if she was the only sick person in that crowd. Everybody else is touching him for something. They're touching him to get something. And nobody got anything except her. She's the only one that power went out of Jesus and into. The only one. Why? Is it because of Jesus? No. God's will was the same for every person in that crowd as it was for the woman with the issue of blood. Who made the difference? She did. It was her faith. The difference between her and every other person in this crowd was that she heard something, took it personal, believed it, spoke it, and acted on it. And apparently nobody else in the crowd did. Because Jesus says, again, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of that plague. Now, what do we see about her? We see that she's acting on exactly what Jesus defined and described in Mark eleven twenty three 23 as the God kind of faith. The God kind of faith. She spoke to the situation. What did she say? She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Well, do you think she ran into any obstacles? Yeah. The kind of condition she has is the same, uh, considered to be the same class of uncleanness as leprosy. If she had been caught in that crowd by the religious leaders, she could have been stoned to death for coming among people because she had a uh, contagious disease, a communicable disease. Diseases uh, can, uh, relative to or concerning issues of blood were, concerned, were considered to be just as contagious as leprosy. So if the religious leaders had been there and had caught her in that crowd, they could have stoned her. When a leper or somebody in a situation like her was coming around other people, they were required by the Jewish law, the law of the, not, well, not the law of Moses, but they were required by the law of the elders to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people would have a choice to either go somewhere else, avoid where they were going, avoid where the, the unclean person was coming, or pick up rocks and chase them away and make them go a different direction. If she'd come in the crowd crying, unclean, unclean, Jesus wouldn't have had to ask, who touched me? Right? So she had a lot of obstacles to overcome. She had to violate the tradition of the elders. It's not really a law, not a law certainly not a law of God. She had to violate the tradition of the elders at great risk to her personal safety, even in her life, to come in that crowd. Now, let me ask you this. It says, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind to touch his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. We, I think, uh, uh, well, maybe not in every case, but in a lot of cases, I think people read that story and they think, wow. Here this woman is. She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus' healing ministry or whatever, touching his garment, Jesus laying hands on the sick, whatever it was that she heard. She heard about physical contact with Jesus. That has to be the case. So whatever she heard about physical contact with Jesus brought faith instantly on the inside of her. And it was a real strong, real great faith. And and, uh, resulting in her taking an action that she did at risk to her safety and her life. And and here she got results. Man, I wish it would work that way with me. But you need to understand something. The words here that are in the Greek uh, language and even some of the other gospel accounts 
say when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind for she said. Mark says, for she said. Those, those words literally mean she began to say continually. She didn't say it once. She began to say it continually. Now, we know from, uh, if, if you wanted to take time, and we may go back there tonight, I don't know, depends on time available to us. But Jesus talked about how the word uh, goes into the heart of a man or a woman, a human being. In Mark chapter 4, he tells us the parable of the sower sows the word. He said, the devil comes immediately. When the word is sown, the devil comes immediately and tries to steal the word. And those that he's successful in stealing the word from, Jesus calls those people wayside types of ground. They don't produce anything. They hear it and it kind of bounces off of them. Well, does the devil work differently with other types of people than he does just wayside type of people? No, he works the same way with everybody. The difference in whether or not you are a wayside type of ground or good ground depends on your response to whatever he does. He does the same thing with everybody. And so what the Bible tells us is that when Satan comes immediately to steal the word away, that means one of the first thoughts that come to you when you hear anything about the blessings of God, whether it be healing or prosperity or goodness or whatever, that Jesus has purchased for us, one of the first thoughts that's ever going to come to you or never other person that hears the word is, you don't think that'll work for you, do you? Something along the lines of, that won't work for you. Very seldom does the devil say, that's not true. Usually he'll begin on a personal attack. He'll say, that won't work for you. That won't work for you. That won't work for you. So think about this. The first thing, or one of the first things, that the woman with issue of blood heard when she heard of Jesus healing the sick, one of the first thoughts that came to her is, that won't work for you. Now she's got a lot of reasons that the devil can use. That won't work for you because you're too far gone. Even if you know of other people that have been healed in Jesus' ministry, and there were thousands of them. Even if you know somebody that was healed in Jesus' ministry, that won't work for you because you've been sick too long. You've had every doctor look at your case. You've spent everything that you own on doctors. You've been to the best and the finest that there is, and there is no hope for you. But she pushed through it there. What I want you to get to, folks, is that she said, in spite of whatever thoughts came that tried to rob her of the truth, she pushed through to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to show you a principle here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, a church that he established and founded but that has since been visited by another minister named Apollos. Notice in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, we'll just pull out a couple of verses um, for the sake of time. Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now remember again, and, and again, we'll, pro- well, we'll probably have to go back and look at it some. But remember, I trust that you know enough about the story, the parable of the sower sowing the word. Remember when Jesus talked about the sower sowing the word? How did the sower sow or plant the word? By speaking it. Then he talks about the results that the seed uh, has in different types of ground or different types of people and so forth. But I want you to notice that. Paul is saying, I planted the word. In other words, I sowed the word of God into you. I was the one that planted it, meaning I'm the one that told you for the first time. You'd never heard it before. It was brand new. And so that's planting the word. But then notice he goes on. He said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
I planted and Apollos watered it and God gave the increase. He, did, he is not saying, I taught you one thing and Apollos taught you something else. He's saying, I planted it the first time that you ever heard it by preaching it to you. Then Apollos comes along and teaches. We know that Apollos was a teacher, not a preacher. Then Apollos comes along teaching and the teaching or the hearing of the word watered that seed. But God's the one that gives the increase. Now notice in verse 9, uh, well, verse 7, better read that. For neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Meaning you and me are laborers together and Apollos and me are laborers together too. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Folks, the word husbandry means garden. Now what is a garden if it's not ground? So let's use that term so that we can be consistent with some other things we're going to point out from Scripture. He said, I planted like a farmer plants seed into ground. You're the ground. I planted and Apollos watered. The teaching of the word, the hearing of the word through the teaching, watered or moistened the seed that was planted. But God's the one that gives the increase. Not the planter. Not the waterer. God's the one that gives the increase. Because you are God's ground. Now what does he mean when he, say, when he says you are God's garden or you are God's ground? What does that mean? Well he goes on to say that you're bought with a price. You're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And as a result you belong to God. Well now what part of you belongs to God? Well the part that he's talking about. I mean the whole of mankind really belongs to God. The whole of man, spirit, soul and body belongs to God. Because Jesus purchased uh, something paid the price for some part of man's spirit, soul, and body. But you, the part that the Bible really talks about you and focuses in on you, is talking about the spirit of man, the eternal part. You are God's ground. Your spirit is the ground that God purchased. Your spirit is a garden. Your spirit is a garden. Now, Paul said, I planted and Paulus watered, but God gives the increase. What did Paul plant? Well, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. Paul, uh, uh, what's his name? Peter. First Peter chapter 1 verse 23. Peter said that we're born again by incorruptible seed. Incorruptible seed. One translation says imperishable seed. If you look up the word incorruptible, it literally means uh, undecayed seed. In other words, what it's saying is simply this. Remember that Paul wrote to the church and said the word of God is swift and uh, quick and powerful and full of... Uh, Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder even soul and spirit. And joints and marrow. Dividing even to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Another translation says. Weymouth's translation says. The word of God is full of life and power. I want you to think about this folks. There is enough power. There is enough of God's power. In whatever word you heard. You may have heard somebody preach Jesus. When you first got saved, you may have heard have a friend to tell you about some experience they had or some knowledge that they had. Whatever the case is, the little bit of the word that you heard, the little bit as an unsaved individual that you heard and grasped hold of was enough to change your eternity. In other words, there is unlimited power in one and every single scripture, every single word that God's ever spoken. There's enough power to change your life, to change you forever, to change your body, to change your mind, to change every part about you in every single word that God spoke. 
And that word never decays. Ever. The promise God made to Abraham, the provisional promises that God made to Abraham are as true and as real and as powerful for you today some 4,000 years later than they were at the time that he spoke them to Abraham. You know what F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth made, made this statement? He said, one of the responsibilities of the church is to prove to the world that the word of God still has power. By fulfilling the promise in their own lives. The Bible talks about making the world jealous. How in the world are we going to make the world jealous? By showing them what it is like to live with God on your side. God left the church here on the earth. The reason he left the church here on the earth is to occupy. Jesus said, occupy till I come. How in the world is the church supposed to live? Just barely scraping by and barely hanging on and then preach to the world, come live like us? No, God's intent was to leave you here with an unfair advantage. What is that unfair advantage? Incorruptible seed. Do you realize that one kernel, one grain of wheat seed, if planted right, watered well, harvested and replanted, could eventually consume a continent? There is much, much, much more potential in any seed, natural seed, than is realized. How much more true is that of God's word? God's word is so full of power and full full of unlimited potential that sometimes you can plant and harvest the same day. They did in Jesus' ministry. He said we'd do the same works. What I want you to see is that you are God's ground designed, made, created, recreated literally, a new creation in Christ Jesus for the express purpose of producing fruit from the seed of God's word. And that seed has unlimited potential. You'll never be able to tap into that potential. What I want you to see, folks, is that this book is full of every bit of power that was ever used by God in any situation and is available to be tapped into by any person that's willing to do it. That's willing to plant it and water it. You are God's ground. Your spirit will produce. It has no choice. I hate to put it in an adversarial context, but you can force your spirit to produce God's word. It's not like your spirit can uh, refuse to cooperate and say, well, you know, I don't feel like producing anything today. That's not how it works. The ground produces whatever seed is put in it if it's taken care of and if it's good ground. You're God's garden. Now, with that in mind, turn back with in Mark chapter 4. We've talked about the parable of the sower, so in the word. And I want you to see a couple of things. Mark chapter 4. I hit on this a little bit on uh, Wednesday night, some of the Wednesday night teaching we were doing. But I want you to see in verse 26. Jesus said, after telling them the parable of the sower, so in the word, and the difference between good ground and stony ground and, and uh, thorny ground and wayside ground and so forth. Jesus said in verse 26, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the kingdom, into the ground, excuse me. 
So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, is the Holy Ghost going to use a different example talking to Paul about being God's garden than he gave Jesus when Jesus was explaining to everybody how the kingdom of God works? One thing I've found about the Holy Ghost is he's consistent. Old Testament and New Testament, he uses the same examples. You are God's garden. Your spirit will produce when the, seed, when the incorruptible seed of God's word is planted in it. Not only to be born again, but to produce any and every promise of God that's made. So now Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom of God works. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast or plant seed into the ground. We know you plant by speaking words. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak words into the ground. What ground? What's the ground? You're God's garden. You're the ground. He's saying the whole of the kingdom of God, anything and everything you need from God, anything and everything that Jesus purchased, healing, prosperity, blessing, material provision, peace, whatever, everything that you need that Jesus has purchased for, for you and for me, everything that belongs to us because we're children of God through confessing, making Jesus the Lord of our lives, everything that belongs to us through the blessing of Abraham, which is ours because we're in Christ, everything, every promise, every good thing, every spiritual blessing that you've been already blessed with in heavenly places, all the things that pertain to life and godliness that God has already given you, everything is obtained or taken hold of in this manner by speaking the seed of God's word into yourself. And isn't that what Jesus said that faith did in Mark eleven twenty three? Jesus said, here's how you change things. You change things with spiritual things. You change physical things with spiritual things. What spiritual things do we use? Words. Have the faith of God. For, who's, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say, speak unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Well, yeah, Pastor Mike, but he just said you're supposed to speak to the mountain, not speak into your own heart. Folks, your heart hears when you talk to the mountain. It's all the same thing. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Notice what we're supposed to say to the mountain. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, wow, you're big. That's what a lot of people are doing. A lot of people are saying, wow, God, look how big my problem is. That's not what Jesus said to say. Jesus said to speak to the mountain and tell it where you want it to go. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And here's the qualifier, and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, don't say anything to the contrary. Don't say anything based on your feelings. Don't say anything based on what you see with your natural eyes. Don't say, anything, don't say anything based on what your neighbor tells you or your good Christian friend tells you about somebody that tried that and it didn't work or anything else. Refuse to say anything to the contrary. But instead shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith, not believe according to his physical senses, not believe according to what he sees or feels, but believe in his heart because the seed of God is imperishable, incorruptible, Full of life and power. Believe in his heart that the things that he says will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. Now why in the world should we believe that what we say will come to pass? Because Jesus said so. Yeah, but nothing I've ever said has come to pass before. Oh, you're wrong about that. The things you have are because of what you've been saying. You ever notice how tempted you are when you get the sniffles? How tempted you are to tell somebody how bad you feel? Why is that? 
Folks, that's supernatural. I've heard people, and, and we, perhaps we've all made the mistake, we'll, be, we'll get cute about it. We'll tell people, well, I'm just taking a cold. Well, that's right, we're taking one. Why? Because we just said it. Why is it such a temptation to tell people to say something cute or to say something smart or to try to sound cool about sickness and disease? But the temptation is there for all of us. Think about all the times that the devil tempts you to open your mouth and talk. The Bible says that if you keep your mouth shut, even if you're a fool, if you keep your mouth shut, people will think you're wise. So what happens? We get in a situation and we are so tempted to open our mouths and talk, usually about ourselves. Why? Because in the multitude of words, there one is not for sin. You start talking, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You start talking, you'll make more of yourself than you ought to. You'll wind up saying the wrong thing some way or another. Because the Bible teaches us to watch our words. The Bible teaches us that our words are precious. My wife used to get so mad at me because I wouldn't talk. And really outside of church, outside of services, I don't talk much. She'll sit and she'll talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and get mad because I won't answer. Well, number one, there's no opportunity, boy. But really more than that is, if I'm not interested in something, if I don't have something good to say, I've learned through, through, through hard knocks, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. One of the things that always interested me is when it says that God called Samuel as a young boy. It said Samuel watched his words and let none of them fall to the ground. Once God started using him and God told him, I've got a place for you in ministry to be a prophet. It says Samuel watched his words and let none of them fall into the ground. I like that. I think that's the way it's supposed to be for all of us. And that's why there's such a temptation. There's such a temptation to speak, to say something, to throw something out there that's funny or cute or whatever. Why? The Bible says you'll have to answer for every idle word. That doesn't mean God judges you. It means your idle words, your worthless words, your words that don't carry any power, anything that you intend to have in life will rob you. Because it waters down the rest of your words. See, a lot of people's faith won't work because they don't believe in their words. Because they use their words in all kinds of situations, in all kinds of manners, in all kinds of ways. Untruthfully in some cases. They don't believe in their own words. They don't have any confidence in their own words. One of the things Jesus said about faith working is believe in your heart that what you say will come to pass. You better start developing some confidence in your words. How do you do that? How do you do that? Turn with me over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. uh, Let me read something before you go. Mark chapter 4. So is, uh, I'll come back. Never mind. Luke chapter 17. You can tell I've really got an outline I'm following here, right? Luke chapter 17. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong reference. It's Matthew chapter 17. I knew it didn't look right on the page when I got there. Matthew chapter 17. 
Jesus said, this is after he's uh, delivered the, the boy whose father brought him that was uh, oppressed by the devil. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Your unbelief is because, uh, is, uh, um, their unbelief was because they didn't recognize unbelief on the part of the individual. They were trying to do something that they couldn't do apart from the faith of the Father. So Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say, the word shall is, is the word would. If you have faith as a seed. Now, everything we've talked about being God's garden, planting the word, watering the word, and so forth, has to do with seed and ground. Everything about the kingdom of God comes down to seed and ground. Everything. Everything about what Jesus purchased for you comes down to seed and ground. So Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, he said, faith is like a seed. Doesn't matter how big the, the seed is because there's enough power in the seed to get the job done. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say, unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. He said, faith always talks. He said, if you have faith as a seed, what will you do? You'll cast it into the ground. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. He said, if you have faith as a seed, you will say. You will say. I, want you to, I do want you to turn back to Luke chapter 17 now and look at something else. Here's another instance where Jesus is talking about the same thing or a similar thing. Jesus is talking about unforgiveness. Let me read this whole thing in context, beginning in verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they do come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to you, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Now, before we get on to the apostles, there's something you need to recognize and we need to commend them for. They realize that faith is a matter, or I'm sorry, they realize that forgiveness is a matter of faith, not feelings. They realize that if somebody sins against them seven times and repents seven times, they're going to feel pretty bad about that. They're going to feel pretty taken advantage of. Everybody would, right? But they realize that the only way that they're going to be able to do that is to apply something other than their feelings in order to forgive. And that's something that they're going to have to apply other than their feelings is faith. So they said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, whether you're talking about forgiveness or something else, everybody wants their faith to increase, don't they? Because one of the things that the devil will always tell you uh, and, and tempt you with and, and try to beat you up about is not having enough faith. And there are some people, well-intentioned though they may be, there are some Christian individuals that don't know enough about faith to know not to tell somebody that they don't have enough faith when they didn't get the results. Uh, that used to just bug the stew out of me. We'd, I, when I was working with Brother Hagen, people would come and they'd say, well, I've been believing for so and such and such a time and such and such a pastor or such and such a ministry told me that the problem was that I didn't have enough faith. Folks, that's never the problem. 
Are you listening to me? It's never the problem. Because anybody, everybody can increase their faith. Everybody can. And Jesus is going to tell you how to do it. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said, the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say. This word might is the same word would. If you have faith as a seed, you would or you will say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted into the sea, and it should or will obey you. So how is he sound, is, has Jesus just ignored their, their statement, Lord, increase our faith? Is he just talking about something else altogether unrelated now? No, he's telling you, here's how to increase your faith. How do you increase your faith? By speaking into your own heart. Mark 4.26, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. The whole of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is part of the kingdom of God, isn't it? Growing in faith is part of the kingdom of God, isn't it? So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. As if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. Paul told us by the Holy Ghost, you're God's ground. Your spirit is the ground that the seed will grow and produce even miraculous results. Your heart is that ground. That ground has to produce. If the good seed of God's word is planted and watered and maintained, it has to produce every time. So he's saying if you have faith as a seed, you'll say. If you you realize that faith is a seed, you'll speak into your own heart. You will speak into your own heart. You will speak into your own heart. Now let's get back to the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. For she said, for she said. She overcame the thoughts that were coming against her. This won't work for you. It's too late for you. You've had this 12 years. Doctors have given up on you. Now you're not only sick, but now you're broke too. She had every, every obstacle to overcome. You know you can't go in the crowd where the public is. How is Jesus ever going to come apart to a place where you might be, where he could get to you even if he had healing power? How's he ever going to get to you? She had every opportunity to turn and run from this thing, but she chose to take hold of it herself. How did she take hold of it? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say. She realized, not the first time she said it, not the second time she said it, maybe not the hundredth time that she said it, but she realized that the more she said, she began to say continually, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Did she believe it? Was she convinced of it when she first said it? Probably not. Probably not any more than you and I are when we first start confessing things that the Bible says belongs to us. But the more you say it, the more convinced you become. The more you say it, the more it takes root. Why? Because the more you say it, you're watering the seed. First time you say it, you're planting it. But the more you say it, you're watering. And what happens? Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. The verse of scripture that I didn't read over in Mark chapter 4, it says, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Verse 27 goes on to say, for he rises, he goes to bed and rises every day. And it, he, it produces, he knoweth not how. You don't even have to know how it's going to work. What you have to know is planting the seed of God's word, watering the seed of God's word, continuing to water the seed of God's word will cause God to give the increase from your heart. 
The answer that you need, the power of God that you need comes from within you. It doesn't come from the sky. It doesn't come from some external source. The power to heal is within you. The whole of the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God comes not with observation. It is within you. So what do we do? We plant the seed of God's word into our heart by speaking it. And we keep saying it over and over and over again. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I hurt. Well, is that what you want? You want to keep hurting? The Bible says you can have what you say. What do you want to say? You want to say you're hurting. You want to say by the, in the name of Jesus, I'm pain free. Your choice. You can have it either way. Your, your heart, your spirit will produce whatever you say. It's God's word, not your feelings that is incorruptible seed. It's God's word that has unlimited potential in the seed. Not your own words that has unlimited potential. Not words that are contrary to, the, to God's word. Not words that are contrary to God's promises. God's words has unlimited potential. And the more you say it, the more that it works. The more you say it, the more that it works. Sometimes it works gradually. Sometimes it, te- it takes root and grows and grows and grows until all of a sudden there's an instant result. Now, I don't mean instant meaning from the first time you said it. I mean instant from the m- few moments before. But it works. I could give you illustrations. I could give you stories from people that are sitting here. They've been saying things and their situation has begun to change. Little by little by little. They may be off their medication. They may whatever the case is in their individual situation. Things are changing for them because of the truth of God's word that they keep speaking into their own hearts. Over and over and over. And every time you say it, I'm not, I have never come to the place. Maybe you have. Maybe you're more mature than I am. But I have never come to the place where I've never had the devil try to resist me speaking God's word. Every time I say God's word, he's right there with the thought saying, don't you think it would have worked by now if it's going to? So if you're thinking that the place of spiritual maturity is that the devil never gives you a problem before, I've found in my own experience, maybe it works different for you. I don't know. You'll have to tell me. But in my own experience, every time I speak God's word, he tries to seal it. Every time. There's an obstacle. Every time. There's a feeling. Every time. There's something. Every time you're going to have to overcome and push through. But the Bible says that if you plant and water, God will give the increase. I've got some great promises coming down the road for me. I say coming down the road. The road may end in five seconds. I don't mean to say, you know, years and years from now something's going to happen. I don't mean that at all. I mean, I'm going to keep traveling the road till I get it. Whether it's five seconds or five years, it doesn't matter to me. The word doesn't change no matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter to me. Well, why would it take five years, Pastor Mike? I don't know. Maybe it's something I need to learn and grow. Maybe it's a, 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 something that I'm not renewing my mind to. I don't know. But even if that's the case, I'm not going to give up on it. Because I know the word says if you plant and water the seed, God will give the increase. So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground. If a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. Everything you need from God's kingdom. Everything you need from Jesus' provision. Everything you will ever need. Every miracle. Every supernatural occurrence. Every supernatural thing that's ever been done in this world. Or something that you need that hasn't yet been done. God will do that too. It all comes the same way. And that is by speaking the word of God into your own heart. And that's where you're going to find that the devil gives you more trouble than any other place in your Christian walk. He'll try to influence your words because it's your words that bring the results. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we are born again 
by the incorruptible seed of your word, and your word is still incorruptible. It is undecayed. It is unaltered. It never grows old. It has the same power now as when you first spoke the words. Thank you, Father, that the kingdom of God, the whole of the kingdom of God, every answer that we need, every problem that we need fixed is as if a man cast seed into the ground, us speaking your word into our own spirits. Thank you, Father, that you give the increase. Lord, we've committed our faith unto you. We count on your faithfulness to bring it to pass. We count on your faithfulness to bring it to pass. We'll be faithful to continue to speak your word. We'll be faithful to believe in our hearts that those things which we say will come to pass. But we count on your faithfulness to make it so. Thank you, Father, that you are able to make good on every promise, every declaration you are able to make good on. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Come on back and be with us Christmas Eve if you can. If you're not able to, let me just say now, Merry Christmas. Hope you have a great one. Amen.